This is the Educated Guest Podcast, and I'm Justin, your host. Hey, if this is your first time listening, thank you first and foremost for joining. I think it's a very cool thing that you're doing to try something new. You know, if you've been here before, then you've heard me talk about a lot of different things pertaining to art, design, creativity, all that good stuff. But if you're new, then you're probably wondering, like, what um, what am I getting into? Like, what is Educated Guests about? And how long has it been around? And how many other people listen? And is it something that's worth my time? And I can't answer all those things for you, but I will start by just talking about how long it's been here. So for two and a half years, we've been talking and bridging the gap between the institution and the public as it pertains to art education. A lot of people don't get a chance to spend time on one side or the other side. And what I'm hoping to do is offer my perspectives as someone who's worked at a big firm, run my own practice, decided that I need more skills, go back to school, enroll at, a, at one of the most prestigious art schools and design schools in the world, while also practicing outside and understanding what's going on in the world of the freelance um, practitioner. So what I'm hoping to do and what we've been doing for two and a half years is to get the two groups of people to meet. And we try to get people to meet under the roof of a house that's held by three pillars. The three pillars are this. One, we have our segment called Incomplete Thoughts. It's all about the mindset needed for the artist, the multidisciplinarian, the creative of the future. The second is about the tools, the tactics, the templates of how to actually run a practice, maybe how to generate money and actually have the opportunity to serve in a new type of way using the skills you've built. And lastly, we do our best in this sort of the legacy pillar of our platform and our community is that over 30,000 people at this point have come back and have experienced our dialogue conversations in our well-read segment. And lately we've been doing more monologues, sort of biographical um, coverage and sort of um, documentation of people that are worthwhile. So people who might be a good kickoff point, jump off point for your for a precedent study or maybe like a thesis that you're trying to develop, some people to look at and some names that are note- noteworthy and notable that you may not have run across quite often in your um, in your in your feed. So anyway, if any of this sounds good to you, I would really encourage you then to go to our website at educated-guest.com, subscribe to our newsletter if you're into that sort of thing. If you want monthly recaps of something inspirational, something informative, something that's worth grabbing onto and really sinking your teeth into to get you through that next week, that next month, that next day, whatever it may be. And we challenge everybody here to think outside the box of what practice means. Think outside the box of what it means to show up every day in a different type of way. So all that said, let's get into it today. We're talking about what it means to bring happiness to the grind. And I'm very convinced. uh, I thought of this topic today because I'm very convinced that a lot of people practicing both professionally and semi-professionally, but by that, I mean, they're sort of hybridizing their time between a full-time steady income and maybe like something on the side. And what I'm finding is that everybody seems to be kidding themselves, right? Everybody's silently going through the same things. And that's the most frustrating part about um, the creative art, the creative industry. 
we all know that if it comes down to whether that person gets the project or this person gets the project, we would want it to be us. Why? Because we want the opportunity to do more work using our skill set. So everybody shows up and I've seen it outside the institution and inside the institution where everyone shows up, enjoys the creative conversation, enjoys digging deeper into whatever designer they're interested in studying, whatever you know, precedent they're interested in studying, whatever topic they're wanting to discuss, whatever debate where they're wanting to have. But they know at the end of the day, you know, it's like, it's like those um, quarterback camps. You know, you show up to quarterback camp and you show up to the draft, you show up to, you know, even the quarterback room once you get into, um, into the league. And, you know, at the end of the day, I believe there's only 32 teams in the NFL. I could be wrong on that number, but I'm pretty sure it's around there. So let's just assume it's 32. If it's something different, don't hold me to it. Just Google it and, you know, you'll find out the real number. So if it's something that's close to 32 teams, think about how many quarterbacks are out there trying to do the same thing that all that only there's only one starting quarterback. There's only one starting point guard. There's only one starting forward. There's only, you know, one pitcher at any given time. So what you're doing is like you're I think there's 55 roster spots. So you can go through the motions and and talk about the happiness and talk about how create how great it is to be a designer and artist. But you're not fooling us. Let's all be honest here that there is a certain level of grind and anxiety that comes with being in this field because you see how much work. I mean, it's a very um, photocentric. And so there's, there's this degree of photocentricity that almost numbs everyone to the ideas of you know, what is actually stressing us out. Because quite frankly, we become obsessed with the image. And I've, there's actually a book on this, on this subject that I've wanted, wanted to sink my teeth into called Signal Image Architecture by John May. And um, it's this inherent anxiety that comes along with finding the value in whatever it is you're doing. So you can replace architecture with the graphic design. You can replace architecture with real estate. You can replace architecture with sculpting, whatever, um, whatever several layer of abstraction your value exists on, you're trying to extract that value while also knowing that everybody that you want to be friends with is also also your competition. So what do you do? So this, a lot of these, this commentary, this social commentary that we know is true leads to a lot of unanswered questions that I'm going to try to answer today. So for the next 10 minutes or so, if you can, if you have the time, just stick with me. And we're going to run through a couple of questions that are worth asking that have helped me and can maybe help you. I really, really think they can. So first question that I would ask is evaluating, and this is more of a, you know, just a soft landing type of type of question is when is the last time you evaluated how much happiness you brought to the day, how much energy you brought to the day, how much, um, quality conversation you brought to the day? How many quality questions did you ask that day? How many, you know, and what I'm doing and kind of giving you this soft landing question is sort of, it's, it's a, it's a shocking answer that you might not be able to produce because I know when I ask myself that question, if I were to ask myself that question, 
if you have to think too hard about it, it's probably been a while. And you notice this has very little to do with the ability to produce an image, the ability to produce a building, the ability to produce, because a lot of the things that we want to do have a very long tail production schedule. You know, if you think about a film, a film, if you're a filmmaker, the time from the cap, the, 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 the time frame of production, the ratio of production to fulfillment in terms of time frame is extremely um, outbalanced. I would say it's probably like 100 to one, meaning for every 100 hours, it's probably one hour of absolute fulfillment. If you ask just the average person, the same thing with architecture, the same thing with you know, musicians, like from the time that you get off that one riff that really blew your mind and you knew it was right all the way to the time that maybe you get to get the next hit of dopamine when someone hears it and they say, man, it's crazy. You get goosebumps the next time, like your moments already passed. So what do you do with the other 99 hours? If the ratio is a hundred to one, then what do you do with the other 99 hours where you have to produce some level of happiness? So that's my first evaluative sort of baseline question is how much happiness did you bring to the day and how much did you bring it consistently? Um, the second question is how much happiness do you frequently take from the day? You know, I have experiences where I wake up consistently and honestly, if I'm being honest in the past four to five months, I've mentioned, if you've been following along that a, a lot of, a lot of my, um, time has been spent working as I've decided to go back to school and actually pursue a master's in architecture at um, the GSD. And what's been interesting is that I've woken up frequently and expected for someone else to give me some degree of happiness. And it's been quite, a, quite an interesting self-assessment of this time where I'm having to evaluate you know, what what is it that I'm expecting someone else to give me? Why would they give me something? And if they had if they had what I'm expecting them to give me, was it even mine in the first place? And how did it become theirs if they have it? And why don't why didn't I have it? A lot of these very meta questions that lead to one answer, and it's ultimately that if we're focused on consumption versus contribution, we're always going to be living from a place of lack. If we're focused on consumption as opposed to contribution, we're always going to be living from a place of lack. And living from a place of lack it is one of the starting points of depression. And for anybody who knows me personally, um, you know I have very strong feelings and opinions about, um, I'll call it the industry of mental health and wellness, because I really do believe that as someone who's experienced every degree of what some might, what you might be able to find on, you know, a lot of popular mental health assessment websites or even um, psychological, I forget exactly what the name of the huge book is that is able to name every different mental disorder you could possibly have. The, the process of diagnosing yourself as one thing versus the other or existing on a certain spectrum is for the purpose of defining someone else's assessment of who you are or just someone allowing someone else to control what should get you out of that. So as soon as you are diagnosed as having something or existing on some spectrum or what have you, that gives others the power to bring you out of that space as if you didn't have that capability to begin with. So 
what I'm talking about here and asking that question of when's the last time you or how much how often do you wake up expecting someone else to, you know, give you happiness or what when's the last time you woke up looking to take happiness or take something from the day? Um, And there's quite a difference and there's no. I'm leaving these as open ended questions because you hold the answers that I can't quite give you. Um, and the third and most probably most important question that was sort of the inspirational lick for uh, this the title of this episode, bringing happiness to the grind is assessing the grind itself. So let's look at the grind in a nutshell. If we look at the grind, everybody knows what the grind is. You know, the grind is that time period from like right after dinner until until. You know, everybody knows that if you're working on something that's extremely hard and you're working 80, 90, 100 hours a week, and this is not a fan of fantasy land for many creatives. Many creatives work 80, 90, 100 hours a week and don't get paid the same as investment bankers who work 80, 90, 100 hours a week. So you're having to assess. It's, it's In my opinion, it's one of the most dangerous places to get into is when you're in that place where you're working this much and you lost emotional connection to the work, where you're no longer working and enjoying and whistling while you work, you're now working for the whistle. Someone whistles, like much like Pavlov's dog, someone whistles, you have a reaction. You are becoming conditioned to some other governing body as to when you should move, when you should do, and what you should do next. And the second you relinquish your control to bring happiness to that moment of grind, that's the moment that you are, you've already lost. You've already lost the game. So what are some ways to maybe think about the grind differently? You know, everybody has that moment where you are stuck in, you know, everybody has that moment where you're stuck at 9.38 p.m., there's nothing scarier than being at 9.38 p.m. knowing that you have at least three and a half to four more hours of work left to do. Because you know that's going to put you at 2.35 a.m. And let a, don't let you have a problem at 1.27 a.m. Or excuse me, 2.35 a.m. And don't let you have a problem at 1.37 a.m. Because you know no one's awake on your end of the world to actually help you. So... If you have any uncertainties or questions or concerns at, you know, 938, you know, it's it's very you have to know what your problems are by the time you get there. So what do you do? You know, what are the mindset? What are the questions you can ask? Like, um, what are some mental models you can maybe address and like um, start to maybe help you get out of this place? The first thing this helps with me is connecting identity to performance, connecting identity to performance. So what does that mean? That means that you move from being a person who can do something, a potential person to a person that's just that type of person that gets things done. So we all know those people in high school where it's just out of character. It becomes a character trait to be a certain type of person. It's like, that's that person I can consistently rely on to be about seven and a half minutes late to every meeting. And it just is what it is. 
And that person I can consistently rely on to walk in. I mean, thinking about high school, walk in just like right before the bell rings. Or I can ex consistently expect that person not to have their homework or consistently respect that or expect that person to ask 10 questions a day or consistently expect that person to um, what have you like be talking in class. Like there are character traits and there's identities that we are, were okay with at one point having because we just thought it was part of our character. Now we have to reevaluate what our identity is in, in terms of performance. We're all just performing. Like this is all just a big game, but it's a game we chose to play. So we might as well win. So how do we win at the game? We win by becoming the type of person that enjoys to get better, the opportunity to become, to become a better servant. You know, I think back to some of the experiences of school, like high school, and it's been probably 10, 11, 12 years since I was fully in, in the high school mindset. Um, and, and thinking back to it, it feels like yesterday, but in thinking back to it, my favorite things to do were to always talk about where, I mean, were to always talk to and speak to the cafeteria workers and the custodial staff. I would always, I don't know what it was, but I always spoke to them. Why? Because they were always the most congenial people that you met. There was always like a mean person, um, and like in the cafeteria, but in the, for the most part, everybody was happy to help, happy to serve. You think about that. Think about how pissed off some of the teachers were. And all they have to do is pretty much regurgitate the same information all the time and like tell people to stop talking in class or any of that stuff. And you have people literally picking up after 15-year-old children, 16-year-old kids. And for some reason, they can have a smile on their face. So in thinking about these mental images, it helps us to understand that any grind is not, it's not, it's not a grind doesn't get you like thinking about just grind it out, just do it, that whatever you need to do, like that doesn't get you where you want to be. That doesn't change your mental, your mental aptitude. Instead, what has helped me is thinking about how great it is that I have the opportunity to serve. How great, how cool is it? What would my seven-year-old self say about my, 27 year old self how cool would i feel that i am and the moment that we bring ourselves into this place of confidence and happiness and approaching you know our day with a different attitude with different disposition at 1 a.m we we understand that we are our own hero we understand that we are the we are actively being the hero of our seven-year-old, eight-year-old self. So if you don't have the energy to be a role model for somebody else because you don't care about their validation and, and you could care less about their opinion of you, those are all the things that pop in your mind at 1 a.m. It's like, I don't care what they think. Like, if I just stop right now, it, it wouldn't really matter because they don't even know me and they don't know I can do much better than this. They don't know that I'm not worth this, da 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 But if you don't want to be your, a hero for someone else, how about being a hero for yourself? How about being a hero for the former you? How about being a role model for the form, the 10-year-old the version of yourself? And I guarantee you that'll lift you out of a place of lack. That'll lift you, lift you out of a place of less. It'll put you into a place where you are now pushing past whatever 
obstacle is in front of you to where you know that at the end of the day, if you were to meet that 10 year old version of yourself that would have given anything in the world to be sitting right where you are, to be in the place that you are. At some point, you wanted the problems you have right now. At some point, you were begging for the 2 a.m. problem that you now want nothing to do with. So if you can think back to that 10-year-old version, that 15-year-old version that wanted nothing more than to get out of the house and to just go experience whatever and be some graphic designer working for a client or be some architect figuring out a problem or be some whatever trying to do that. Think about the person that didn't know what any of that felt like. Tap back into that. Give love to that person. And you'll relieve yourself, free yourself from the grind. Until next time, um, one more thing. If you liked any of this, go ahead and subscribe to to two things. I've never asked anything from podcast community or anything like that. So, but it's been brought to my attention that reviews on Apple Podcasts, reviews, 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 reviews actually really help spread the word to even more people. We've had the opportunity to reach over 30,000 people across the world for over the past two years. And I really want to get that number to something more like 100,000 to 200,000 to 500,000. So the way that we do that is by spreading the word. So screenshot if you like this, just post it, tag us on Instagram, and let's spread the word. Let's build this community up. And I'm really enjoying this process again. I'm really enjoying the opportunity to help. And I'm glad you've lent an ear to listen to me. Until next time, we'll talk soon.